Welcome to episode 98 of Crack the Customer Code, where we talk with business leaders about what it takes to create amazing customer experiences. This episode is brought to you by Audible. With more than 180,000 titles, you can listen to all those books you've been meaning to read. Listeners of this podcast can receive a 30-day free trial and a free audiobook download to experience for themselves. Sign up at audible.com slash customer code. I'm Jeannie Walters, and here I am with my amazing experience of a co-host, <laughs> Adam Toporek. <laughs> oh, well, that was a sweet one. Thank you so much, Jeannie. I appreciate You're welcome. that. We have to switch this up, so you have to make names for me, but I'm afraid of what those names would be. Oh, they would be all <laughs> complimentary in public. <laughs> nice. nice. Oh, yeah, I love it. Yeah, I think you should become Genie X. Oh, I think, I think maybe. They, they add some of the mystery. And the reason <laughs> I say that is because we are talking to a very special guest today. That is Brian Solis, and his book is X. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, this was a really deep dive discussion. I mean, the... Brian was just dropping so many different things. That it was amazing. truly like I was taking notes. And I was like, well, it's recorded. I'm still taking notes. Yeah, it's pretty fantastic. I agree. And I really am loving the book. It's really, it's a very unique business book. And I recommend it to everybody. And we would talk about it, but that's all in the episode. So why don't you tell us a little bit about 360 Connects with the X? <laughs> that's right. The X is there. Do you know your customer experience mission? Our mission at 360 Connects is to create fewer ruined days for your customers. We help our clients with workshops to create their own missions and deliver more for their customers. Find out more about our half day to clarity workshops at 360connects.com slash speaking. That's 360-C-O-N-N-E-X-T.com slash speaking. And we have new sponsorship packages which could help your message be heard. Check them out and join us at crackthecustomercode.com slash sponsor. That is crackthecustomercode.com slash sponsor. And it feels kind of silly to even give Brian Solis an introduction, right? I mean, he's been one of these leaders in our industry for a long time. He's uh, really studied communications and social media and how, and all these different connections. And now he's taking on the idea of designing and executing experiences in business. And it's, it's really a fascinating discussion. It is. So let's talk about Brian. Brian Solis is globally recognized as one of the most prominent thought leaders, keynote speakers, and best-selling authors in innovation and digital transformation. His new book, X, The Experience When Business Meets Design, explores the importance of experiences and how to design them for customers, employees, and human beings everywhere. <laughs> good, good thing to focus on the human beings. <laughs> as principal analyst at Altimeter Group, a profit company, a digital anthropologist, and futurist, he also studies disruptive technology and its impact on business and society. More so through his reports, articles, and books, he humanizes technology's effect to help people see people differently and understand what to do about it. Specifically, Brian studies digital transformation, customer experience, and culture 2.0, as well as the future of industries, trends, and behavior. So let's talk to Brian. Hi, Brian. We're so happy to have you here with us today. How are you doing? <laughs> you know, just as I took a sip of water, <laughs> I am doing so well. <laughs> he was so engaged before the recording. Look. <laughs> that was about perfect timing, I think. <laughs> that was awesome. 
Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> well, aside from thirsty, how are you doing today? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, doing, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I'm really excited. Uh, how, how are you doing today? <laughs> <laughs> We're great. We're really happy to have you here with us. And uh, I was just sharing that I, I'm really digging into your latest book, so I can't wait to talk to you a little bit about it. And as we jump into this, I would love to know, uh, your latest book is called X, Where Experience Meets Design, or The Experience, When Business Meets Design, sorry. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> and it's really, um, it's an exceptional book. It's very unique, I think, because the the layout of it and the way you include examples and really the flow between understanding why this is important and then going all the way to really what's next. What do we have to worry about as uh, business leaders regarding experience and designing human interaction for people in this digital world that we live in as well? And so why do you think the future is so experiential? Why do you think this is such a big topic? Well, it's it, it's a it's a huge topic for a lot of reasons, uh, and I don't know that it's all of the right reasons. So, it'll be a little bit of a windy answer. So, just give me a moment. I promise it'll make sense. <laughs> but there there are there, there are a lot of reasons why it's important. One of which is the the word experience has become quite a buzzword, and it for for better or for worse, everybody's talking about it, and mm -hmm. it is because if you look at the the confluence of of really amazing trends like you know social media and the democratization of information uh, if you look at mobile and apps and sort of the uh, the distribution or the fragmentation of touch points and engagement um, if you look at sort of the you know, the socioeconomic impact of all of these apps and and how it's affecting society and decision making and expectations if you look psychologically at all of this stuff and the behaviors and uh, sort of the, the, the how people think, how they're influenced, um, th their values. Uh, there are so many of these dynamics in play that they are causing chaos uh, at every level, uh, from every angle, uh, within and, and outside of business. Right. So it's your customers, it's your employees, and the word experience seemed to have attached itself to a lot of really awesome opportunities that might solve these problems. If we could just give people a great experience, everything will be great. Uh, and <laughs> If only it were that easy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But you would swear that it is that easy. When you talk to people or you read articles about experience, um, you, you realize that the word experience is bigger than I think anyone can appreciate because there are so many facets of it. There's customer experience, there's brand experience, there's user experience, there's experiences, the catch-all world uh, word. Uh, and when I when I set out to write about this, I, I felt I felt this tremendous passion to to help explain, you know, to help guide all of these conversations, whatever aspect of, of work you, you, you focused on inside of the organization, or if you were outside as a consultant or an agency, that there was just too much confusion around experience and there had to be some way of bringing it all together so that we could collaborate in ways that were going to be super productive and also progressive. Uh, and what I ended up finding was that there was no, you ask 10 people what experience means, you're going to get 25 different answers. <laughs> And to you, depending on who you ask, right, where they are focused, if they're focused in any aspect of, say, the customer journey or customer support, customer uh, customer service, uh, sales, marketing, advertising, everybody had their own uh, 
agenda attached to the definition of experience. <laughs> but the challenge I found, and here's, and this was also part of the inspiration, was I took a step back to say, all right, obviously I'm not able to get any, anywhere this way. Uh, why don't I ask human beings outside <laughs> of their work what experience means to them as a customer? Uh, and then the the magic really started to come alive. It's a real simple answer. Experience is the emotional reaction you have to each and every engagement of a business throughout your life cycle, throughout the journey, right? So mm -hmm. it's everything. The sum of it is the experience. Uh, and when you strip it down that way, you can actually see the experience that people have in every moment of truth, how it all adds up and where it's broken and where there, where there are possibilities. But then I realized with that answer, even though I had that sort of clever clarity and inspiration, who do you sell that to inside of the organization? Who's buying that? Uh, so like, wow, all right. So now we've got that solved. Now, now we have to go solve the other problem of helping build up a person a change agent, someone inspired to, to, to bring about the right kind of change inside the organization, whomever that is, I have to inspire that person to take this on. Uh, and that, that was sort of the, uh, that was the momentum going into the book, uh, which then meant that the hard part was going to be having to literally write this all from scratch because there was very little to borrow from it in, from this angle anyway. Uh, and so there, there you go. So it was this idea that any one of us could be the change agent that brings about the right kind of change to be this, this almost like chief experience officer inside the organization, but having to bring all of these disparate groups together in order to uh, execute at this new level of, hey, what's the vision for experience? What should it feel like? Um, how should it come alive in each of these moments? And how are we doing it today? Where are we broken? And how do we do this together? So you almost unite everybody together to, to do this in a real wonderful way that I think makes businesses human and relevant again. Mm -hmm. So it was, it's really exciting, but someone's going to have to uh, take that on. Well, and I think one of the things that really struck me in your answer and also in the book is that, you know, in, in the work I do around customer experience, a lot of times when we start with that question, the business people give you answers like their satisfaction rates or their analytics or their NPS score. And it's like, that's not the experience. <laughs> that's related to how you track the experience, but that's not actually the experience. So defining it is so important. And I mentioned that this book is really unique. I'm just curious, you know, what prompted you to design the book itself this way in the layout? Oh, yeah, that's um, it's one of the reasons this book has taken three and a half years. You know, a lot of it is it's just breaking new ground, right? Um, coming up with definitions that I think we're going to help people very, very in, in very plain English, right? I, I am a big, big, big writer. I love it. Uh, maybe maybe too much in the sense that I also find it completely arduous. Uh, what was it? <laughs> Ernest Hemingway once said, it's, writing's easy. You just sit over your typewriter and bleed. Uh, <laughs> I can relate to that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so I, I wrote the book the way I always wrote the book, you know, painfully, but also poetically. Uh, just really love, you know, when I'm inspired, the language of, of just passion that comes out. It's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. But in today's day and age, right, I think I was also guilty of doing what most businesses aren't doing. And that is changing for the times, trying to 
really engage people the way that they want to be engaged just simply because it, not that they don't appreciate you know my work but just simply because they're trying to learn they're moving fast every single day they they use their phones to get information to use apps you know to swipe to pinch to zoom you know um why would i why would i take all of this this book stuff right this is i think the 7th book and just do what i've always done I would be just as guilty of what businesses do, uh, approach this with their legacy philosophies, expectations, you know, approaches. So I read the book when I was done writing it and realized that I had to make the painful decision that I, I, wasn't, I wasn't solving the problem. In fact, I was part of the problem. I felt the book was good, but it wasn't, it wasn't solving the problem, especially when we're talking about experiences around the fact that people are changing. Uh, and here's a book that's no different than any other. <laughs> and al along the way, I realized that I was getting super, super meta uh, and maybe even abstract uh, in the sense that I, I hadn't found my way yet. So I, I talked to the publisher and I took a break from writing X and focused on a book at the time called What's the Future of Business or also known as WTF, uh, where... I sort of simplified some of the messages from the book <clears throat> I wanted to experiment with and started looking at things like, oh, how do you, um, how do you use your phone? How long, how long your, is your attention span? Uh, for example, I looked at teenagers. How long is your attention span when, when you're doing homework before you have to reach for your device? Uh, how, how do you retain information when you're looking at your phone or in an app versus when you're reading a book? Uh, how... How how could I engage with you in ways both through text and and through visuals that we're going to sort of promote learning, promote engagement and excitement, uh, and and also just sort of borrow from the digital world to see if I could reverse engineer that stuff onto paper. And and the reason I did that was because it would have been easy to, or not easy, but expected to take all of those insights and apply it to a digital version of the book. But I thought it would be very appropriate to show that you could take anything in today's world and when you look through the eyes of a very connected individual and how their brain fires differently, that you could apply that to everything and, and especially a book. So I was able to put a light version of some of these insights out to buy myself some more time in WTF. Uh, so the book had a different shape. It was very visual, a lot of white space. Uh, it, it, was, it was very tight. I, I realized that I had to start changing how I write sentences uh, to be able to engage the reader a little bit longer, promote page turning, retention, et cetera, turn paragraphs into individuals. Uh, and when I published WTF, uh, I also realized that I had a lot more work to do to simplify the concept of experience because I had gotten almost too, um, too wrapped up in all of the, the craziness that, that it is or that it could be, uh, you know, studying things like user experience, uh, human-centered design, all of these incredible but complex but beautiful uh, philosophies and approaches and methodologies to, to simplifying human engagement, whether that was from product design or creative or just m words. <clears throat> but the, the beauty of this entire process was this. Once I was able to sort of motivate myself, because I can tell you that I wanted to quit maybe a thousand times in this <laughs> process. A week, right? A yeah. thousand times oh, a week. <laughs> oh my goodness, yes. And thankfully I had a publisher that was willing to uh, 
and we can talk about the economics of doing this as well, but they were they were supportive. But we're we're talking three and a half years all in on this book. The design of it, I didn't even get to let's say 60% of where I wanted to go, but it is completely deconstructed. A lot of people are going to call it a coffee table book. They're going to say it's it's beautifully designed, but what they're not going to know is that it is literally an app. It is an analog app. It's It's what a book could be today, not, hey, let's make the book better. So it's reimagining the book from scratch, and that means... Why do we have a table of contents? Why do we have a preface? Why do we have a 60,000 word average? Why do we write sentences that are greater than X amount of characters? Uh, why, why do we not promote uh, m- mental breaks within this so that you feel w- subliminally that you're able to just soak it in, causing moments of pause? Uh, why don't I reconstruct what a chapter could be so that Everything is encapsulated and you can both move at your own pace, but also just feel like you want to turn the page naturally. Like, oh, no, look how much of the book I have left. Uh, There are a lot of real interesting things that were done with this book that are hyper experimental, but also very much informed. Uh, from UX, UI, the whole book was uh, designed the way an app would be designed. And it was just a real crazy experience. The book is the size of an iPad Air to give you a little bit of familiarity when it's closed in terms of shape. Um, but but other than that, it's a book you feel like you could you could engage with, you could swipe, you could you could pinch and zoom. And, and I see all kinds of really crazy pictures from readers of, you know, the moment I thought I could tweet this from the page, the moment I thought <laughs> I could Instagram it. It's just a real... It's just real wonderful to see it pay off in that regard. So it's sorry for the long answer, but it's such a deep subject. It's so fascinating. Well, I love it. And having been through the traditional publishing process, I'm sitting here like thinking like, man, my book's so out of date now. (laughs) (laughs) Like, this is so cool. (laughs) I love everything you're saying. And what's neat is I know one of the things you highlight in the book is how our own experiences as humans get in the way of designing for experiences for people who aren't like us. And what I like about what you just said about your book is how you really were trying to think about how are others, granted, it's probably you and me and Jeannie as well, but how are people now interacting with content and how are, how are their brains being rewired by this digital ecosystem? So how do you suggest organizations, leaders really look at customers and try to get over their own preconceptions of what they like, of their experience. You mentioned how experiences are personal and emotional and try to view it through the end user's uh, viewpoint or lens. Well, there's a couple of things, right? Most, one of the things I learned as I was writing this is that, and, and also I've, I've done a bunch of research and published a bunch of reports on this. They get very heavy, but the one thing that I've learned is most executives do not live the brand the way that their customers do. Uh, and this is one of the reasons why that show Undercover Bosses is, is so popular, uh, is that they have a whole different group of people in which they interact with, right? Shareholders, stakeholders. Uh, they, just, they just live their business very differently. And then there's always that Undercover Boss moment when they get the gift of empathy. They'll say something like, I forgot what it was like to be a customer. I forgot what it was like to, to go through the ranks. I forgot what it was like to do this. And, and then that reminder humbles them, right? And it turns it into that, that, that moment of empathy turns into a promise of, of a very different and very informed, empathetic future. So the challenge is, is that 
there are no shortage of customer experience books, and a lot of them are great. A lot of real smart people on the subject. I'm challenging you as a reader to say, I can go do the work that everybody else is going to do and find similar results and possibilities, or I can actually rethink, like Brian did, what a customer experience could be if you made it relevant for today and tomorrow. Because it's different. It's, one is iteration and the other one is innovation. And not saying one is better than the other, but I bet you one is. <laughs> and <laughs> the idea <clears throat> behind that is this. If you look at the customer journey and the customer experience as it is today, you will find friction. You will find what I call the experience gap, right? The differences between your brand promise and what people actually go through. You will find inconsistencies in how people deliver uh, that customer experience in each group, in each touch. You will find uh, the fact that those touch points are sort of designed through the eyes of, say, someone who is maybe not <laughs> the customer. Uh, and what you have is just a, a web of complexity that happens to work, but we're not, there's no sense of urgency to radicalize it or change it or blow it up and start over again because it works, right? So mm -hmm. every new thing that comes on, you just bolt it onto this infrastructure until you have this Frankenstein of a customer experience where some things are great and some things aren't, right? So what I'm asking people to do is one, don't blow anything up, <laughs> but, <laughs> but optimize it. But two, if you really want to be relevant for the future, if you want to have a significant competitive advantage over anybody else, is don't compete against your normal competitors. Compete for the customer experience, but first know who the, the customer is and understand that the way that they go through the journey is already blowing your infrastructure up. You have no choice. So you can go and spend years fixing and optimizing the customer journey as it exists, or you could spend the next few years making a customer journey that's actually going to be relevant to the customer as they, as they change everything. And I'll give you an example. It's not just kids. It's everybody that uses a smartphone that, say, uh, uses apps that, that gets spoiled through the, the conditions of Uber uh, and Instacart, having these things come directly to you, uh, having payments, you know, frictionless uh, to, to, you know, we spend about, we look at our phones about 1,500 times a week and, and on average that adds up to, you know, 177 minutes a day, right? And with every pinch Zoom app that you use that brings something to you, uh, every click for Amazon that simplifies the purchase process, you are being reprogrammed to expect things to be like that. Yet when you do business with, say, a traditional company, you go back in time, right? It's just like turning on the television. You go back in time. And this is why there's so much disruption in the cable industry, why we're seeing the... Uh, the uh, unbundling, as we call it, of, of, of television into these streaming apps or on-demand apps so that you can binge watch your shows and not have to sit in front of a couch, right? The whole concept of these things are just becoming so different that, right, it's like you'll never take a taxi once you take an Uber because the process is just 
seamless. It's, it's, it, it works for your lifestyle today. So all of these things are inevitable, which is why so many big companies are being disrupted for, by so many little companies. And that's only accelerating because they have the, the luxury of starting from scratch. They also have the challenge of gaining momentum against companies with big budgets. But once they get momentum, they change everything. Just like Tinder's absolutely changing the, uh, we'll call it the dating industry, or, or we could just actually call it for what it is, facilitating a much more efficient way to hook up, which is what a lot of people want because they're delaying the idea of longer-term relationships. Now, looking at just Tinder for a moment and geeking out, it's not, it's not just about the fact that you could choose you know, swipe left, swipe right. Think about what it's doing to users time and time and time as, as they use the app. It's boiling down moments into A, B, yes, no decisions. Uh, what we're seeing in, in a lot of work I'm doing with Google here, what we call micro moments, is it's completely fragmenting the journey into these micro moments that strip away this beautiful, you know, these beautiful charts that I've drawn over the years of what the dynamic customer journey looks like into these zipping in and zipping out moments where the touch points that exist don't necessarily cater to what they need to their expectations because we're still arguing about websites and responsive design and not having conversations like what is the purpose of a website in 2016 when people have no attention spans they have small screens and they just are absolutely narcissistic and they need to get what they need now uh, <laughs> and and then they're absolutely impatient so what what does that mean how would how could we redesign the journey like i redesigned the book for that attention span Wow. Well, you hit on a lot of my uh, favorite subjects there. <laughs> because, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> first of all, I don't know if anybody has ever said the phrase just looking at Tinder and geeking out before. So that one alone <laughs> is pretty awesome. <laughs> but uh, yeah, micro moments are one of my passion points. And I write and speak about that a lot because I thoroughly believe that those small moments can make or break the experience and yet often they're totally overlooked and they're easy to overlook. Um, so that's, uh, that's awesome. And I think Google is known for innovation and, uh, a lot of other companies are kind of held up as these great experience brands. And I'm curious, who are some of your favorite examples that go beyond the Apple and the Zappos and the Amazon and, uh, Uber, everybody's talking about, uh, is is there anybody out in the marketplace right now that you think is kind of the an unexpected disruptor? Oh, I I'll tell you, a lot of companies think that they're the unexpected disruptor. <laughs> <laughs> but if if any if you play this this interview, snippets of this interview for any one of those disruptive companies, you know they're gonna they're they're gonna sit there and they're gonna say they're gonna all nod their heads like, oh yeah, we're totally doing this. But most of them aren't because they're not changing the infrastructure of how they do business. They're coming up, they're, they're solving the problem through creative, right? So they're, they're outsourcing it to have more sensational uh, Facebook ads or more uh, interesting, uh, uh, say, say mobile, mobile specific landing pages or, or sites. Uh, they're looking at ways of, uh, mobile fine or uh, app fine, you know, commerce transactions. Uh, they're looking at content marketing and content strategy, but very few companies have looked at this from the inside out to say, "All right, what do we need to do differently so that we're collaborating on this?" And and uh, even fewer percentage of companies that have said, "What's the experience we want people to have? 
Mm-hmm. What, is, what does it look like today? And where, and where could it be? And what could we do better? And how would we need to do it? Once you start having conversations like that, then, then you can start talking about disruption. And the only way I was able to get to this, this answer that, that you're asking was by studying what, what's called digital transformation uh, and getting inside the organization and working with executives to see exactly what they're doing. Uh, because what we're really talking about now is getting in there and changing the infrastructure of how a company works, right? So the fact that customer service, customer support, uh, web, sales, service, social, mobile, that none of these departments actually talk to each other it <laughs> is absurd, right? Yeah. And they, they never had to because they were structured around the concept of the customer journey as a funnel, right? And when people talk about silos and that the funnel is dead, I don't think we're actually getting it in our head that they no customer moves that way. And in a world of micro moments, they don't see departments. They just need information. And this is why in, in our research with Google, we found, uh, or I found, that 90% of people who start a journey or a micro moment journey on a smartphone have no brand uh, affiliation, meaning that there's, they're brand agnostic. They just have a question or a need, like I want to buy, I want to go, I want to do, I want to learn. And when they go in that moment, it's what comes back that guides them to the next step. And it's amazing to me how few companies get this, right? So that means everything is upended. If 90% of your customers that are mobile are going into this journey brand agnostic, there's a lot of work to do. And so companies first have to admit that there's a sense of urgency around this, but yet they're still debating about scores and metrics uh, and processes that are serving yesterday's business model, not tomorrow. So digital transformation, just to, to you know, long story short, it's this idea that business philosophies, processes, models, and systems have to change in order to compete for this new customer or this new employee, depending on what the, their sense of priority is. Uh, and in that regard, they slowly but surely, there's six stages that I found I found start to change. And they're, they're not linear steps, but they're just things of where they focus on. So there are then, you know, to answer your question specifically, companies that are doing aspects of this very well, like Sephora, where uh, Bridget Nolan went inside the organization and did study this shopper journey uh, and understood that there's optimizing what is and then there's completely rethinking what it should be based on where this behavioral trends were going. And she successfully brought everyone together to in, in one department to serve the customer, right? And that was both in-store, online, mobile, social, et cetera. So that work progressed so, so tremendously that she realized one of the areas that they were not succeeding in was innovation, right? Iteration seems to be the, 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 the word du jour uh, that they, that no one is 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 actually appreciating, but when businesses change, they're basing it on legacy foundations. It's like the remote control uh, of which I talk about in the book. You 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 have all of this innovation happening in the television world and how people in turn use it, but you have this remote control that refuses to innovate. It it, it is just <laughs> builds upon this legacy of uh, complexity, right? Uh, the best we got over 60 years were, uh, you know, backlit keys, uh, color coding, and a dedicated Netflix button, but 
the average number of buttons on a remote control, I had to study this, like what went wrong? What went wrong is uh, 70 buttons. It's ridiculous, right? Oh my gosh. So then you have Apple come out with the new Apple TV. They rethink the whole user interface of what it could be. They negotiate all of these new deals that are, are forcing the unbundling of a lot of these, these, these programming channels. And you have a remote control that's essentially a trackpad and a Siri button. That's it. It's very simple. Uh, but it's much more familiar. It's much more intuitive. If you gave that remote to a two-year-old, they will know how to use it because it's 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 natural, right? So what ends up happening then is like with Sephora, they re- they recognize that there's a lot of innovation on the horizon that they need to be in front of. So then they took this idea of the customer experience uh, innovation that they had done within their own group, and then built an innovation center in South San Francisco, well, in South in San Francisco, uh, South of Market, where all of this technology, all of this innovation and all this customer behavior is actively tested to go back into the customer journey. And they'll still tell you that they're not getting a fraction of what they need to get done fast enough uh, to, to be able to change for the future. But they're so far ahead of their competitors, but it's like Starbucks. Starbucks is doing this too. They, they took their IT group, they took their marketing group, they took their innovation group, and they formed what's essentially an MIT group inside of Starbucks. And if you ask them who their competitors are, they will not tell you Pete's, they will not tell you any other coffee company. They will say that they compete against mobile technology companies uh, and payment companies. So it's it's sort of this where you're looking and what you're going to do about it that is going to help you take the rubber to the road differently, much like if you ask me, hey, who am I competing against in terms of books? It's not other authors and other books. It's apps. You know, right. it's, <laughs> it's, it's looking at the world differently. So I, I don't want any companies to sit back and say we're doing this right. I'll tell you the only company... Well, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of companies that are doing this right uh, in in really deep deep regards, and I talk about them in the book. But the one I dedicated an entire chapter to was Apple, right? And and of course, even my eyes rolled when I thought, who uh, who was I going to focus <laughs> focus on? Uh, here's another author. It's Apple. Okay, we get it. They're great. So the reason why I chose Apple was because. Everybody I asked when I was doing my my consumer side of research around experiences, I asked who who gave you the best experience. It's always Apple. Apple was consistently the answer. But so then I said, what about Apple that you think is uh, gives you the best experience? What is it about that Apple's experience that you love? The answers were all over the place. Of course, design, simplicity, uh, reliability were up there. But Steve Jobs was was an answer a lot, <laughs> which made no sense. And <laughs> What what I think that meant to me was that there was this ethos of which people just couldn't necessarily latch on to, but it was experiential, meaning that it was deep inside that they never had to put words to before. So uh, it if I if I gave them you know a challenge and said, hey, I'm going to come back to you in an hour and I want you to really tell me what you think about the Apple experience, I probably would start to uncover or peel back the layers of that inside emotional reaction that people have to it. But the point was that's all I needed. So I then started as a customer, not necessarily as a fanboy or knowing everything about Apple that I do, just simply as a customer looking for a new tablet. Just wanted to focus on one sliver of Apple. Uh, and I would just document the experience, going online, documenting what I saw, the imagery, the design, the uh, the words, the messages, the videos, uh, all of all of the things together of which then I said, all right, well, 
maybe um, I don't want to buy this online. I need to know a little bit more. So I went in the store and documented what I saw there and, and documented my conversations with uh, with the geniuses, et cetera, uh, to the point where then I, I started to find a story arc. There was an obvious story arc in play. The messages, the aspiration uh, that they wanted me to have, they, what they wanted me to see, how they wanted me to find it, hear it, see it. Uh, what I would, what they wanted me to feel about it, which I thought was really interesting that it was connected. Now we're talking about web, e-commerce, retail, uh, sales, and and support, right? So uh, just in five elements alone. Then we're talking about uh, we're talking about point of purchase. We're talking about display. Uh, we're talking about things that are now spanning multiple departments. Yet so far, they're all connected and working against the story arc. So then I had to start doing uh, some other research, right? So I, I bought I bought one, and then I documented the the box, the out of box experience, and sure enough, maps against the story arc, uh, and to to the support. Like say, I needed to learn more uh, or try different things. I, again, uh, the the people who do that within the the Apple Store. Uh, operating against the story arc. So I had to start d- digging deeper. So what is it about this? Because they're very secretive <laughs> and it's hard to get, no one's going to tell you like, oh yeah, of course there's a story <laughs> arc and here's here's what it is. Uh, it, it, so there are things that are absolutely incredible. Like there's a person whose job it was to open boxes to find the right experience that, that mapped against the right arc. There's an arc. I found someone who arced the story box experience or the box experience, which I felt was incredible. Uh, I found job descriptions for people uh, at the Apple store that in the job descriptions mapped against the story arc that I had documented. I found training manuals that mapped against the story arc. That means somebody somewhere, probably Steve Jobs, said this is what the experience has to be and it it absolutely has to be connected. And not only that, but the experience that we want you to have and feel every step of the journey beyond purchase has to map into this overall Apple story arc, the Apple universe experience, which is incredibly thoughtful. It's unbelievably meticulous. I mean, I'll, I could talk about this for an hour of all the things I found, but they're all connected. That means the whole infrastructure of Apple is connected around this experience and say what you will about the company uh, or how difficult it is to work there or what the future of their, their products look like, doesn't matter. It's that to the extent of experience being more important than the product, it is absolutely true and certain. And I stripped this down into steps so that any business could learn that you're not going to accomplish this by sending it out to the different fiefdoms that run the different aspects of the journey or measuring things like, hey, would you recommend us? It is absolutely about how somebody feels in each moment and how those moments stitch together and how serious you want to compete at the experiential level throughout the, the, the journey. And so I mapped it out in, in the Apple Universe graphic that's in, in the book. But that to me is a real amazing example of how Apple is Apple. And it, therefore, it's not elusive. Anybody who wants to actually do this and think about it at this level uh, can. It's why towards the end of the book, I introduced these frameworks uh, of how to become an experience architect because that's all that's missing from this is an experience architect and then a plan of which to work together around it. Well, you know what I love, Brian? This is, man, you've dropped so much in here. We could probably talk to you for another two hours, I swear. <laughs> this has been amazing. 
but you know, you talked about the experienced architect, and one of the things I took away from what you were just talking about was that 90% statistic on and that they're not brand loyal and while that may be a very scary statistic for people that have been investing in their brands and hundreds of millions of dollars plus for the past decades it's a great statistic for the up-and-comers you know for those who are trying to gain market share and what you're laying out here in the book and what you just said about having an experienced architect and understanding how to create these experiences I think these younger companies really have an opportunity to do what you did, to innovate something as traditional as book publishing or whatever it may be, soda manufacturing, and gain market share. So this has been absolutely fascinating, and I know your time is valuable, so why don't we just let you tell us where can people find you on the internet? Well, they can find me on the uh, the interwebs overhead at <laughs> bryantsolis.com. Uh, that's a real good place to start. The book is at xthebook.com or at Amazon or any bookstore, really, and uh, Twitter at Brian Solis. Uh, seems to be a common trend. Just my name on your favorite app. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. You're not, you're not hiding. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> for sure. Well, hey, this has been great. Thank you so much, Brian. Thank oh, you, Brian. This pleasure. was great. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed episode 98 of Crack the Customer Code. You can see the show notes for this and all episodes at crackthecustomercode.com. Thanks to audible.com for sponsoring this episode. Don't forget to sign up for a free 30-day trial at www.audibletrial.com slash customer code. I'm Jeannie Walter. Sign up for customer experience webinars at cxwebinar.com and learn more about how to understand all your customer touch points at 360connects.com. And I'm Adam Tapork. You can connect with me and find out more about our customer service workshops and training at customersatstick.com. Until next time, take care of yourself. And take care of your customers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.